Some atheists will observe the universe and declare there is no God because the entirety of this universe is just chaos. The problem with this statement is that it's incomplete. They should say the entirety of this universe is chaos with the exception of my mind. I am an independent, rational observer, and I have concluded that everything other than my mind is pure chaos. That is actually the hidden assumption behind what they are saying. That is what they are implying. They just don't say that extra part because it would be a little bit embarrassing. In other words, the true atheist should give up the rational discussion about God altogether. The true atheist doesn't presuppose human ability to accurately evaluate whatever information is available to us. Rather, the true atheist says what? The universe is chaos, and I'm a product of that chaos too. I was vomited out of this chaos, so I must be chaotic. Everything I think, I can't necessarily trust. It's all, part, it's all a product of this universe, and it's all chaotic. Therefore, I won't ever bother with evaluating truth versus falsehood, right versus wrong, good versus bad, where did we come from, what are we doing here, what is our purpose, where are we headed, all these big questions. No, 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 no. All that is the pursuit of truth, and truth doesn't concern me. Instead, as the atheist says, or should say, the true atheist should say, I accept that the only thing that is real to me is how I feel. My personal pain and my personal pleasure. These are the only two realities I know for certain. Therefore, I will chase pleasure and I will avoid pain and nothing else matters. That would be the most sincere perspective. And therefore, they may say, my pursuit of pleasure and my avoidance of pain may include being deceiving to others, cheating others, being greedy, or it could be the opposite. It may include being honest and kind and generous, but either way, my feelings come first. Why? Because that's the only reality I know, pain and pleasure. That's the only thing I know for certain. Why do I mention all this? I mention all this because the scary thing is, when you truly realize how the atheist should be thinking, what is the true atheism, a true atheistic perspective, then you begin to understand nifaq, hypocrisy, much better. What do I mean by this? Many religious people only practice their faith because of, because of how it makes them feel. It feels good. And they'll apply their faith so long as it's feeling good, and they will stop applying their deen the moment it doesn't feel good. Every religion that shifts their laws or their beliefs or their practices because of how it will appease the masses, this is essentially an atheistic framework. They're saying, look, all that really matters, the only true thing that we know is not right versus wrong, truth versus falsehood. There is no objective, ultimate reality out there. All we really know is how we feel, and therefore we have to go with the times. Whatever feels good, do, the, do just that. So how does this reflect upon us? Brothers and sisters, if you come to a Jummah khutbah for 30 minutes out of the week, putting a few dollars in the charity box, just to feel a little bit of spiritual fulfillment without any serious conviction, without any serious improvement or change in your life, without actually taking lessons that you apply back at home, then how is this different than going to a theater, sacrificing a little bit of money, sacrificing a little bit of your time for something that you don't necessarily really believe in? It's a movie, it's not real, but you go in because it makes you feel good. It's the exact same thing. You really have to ask yourself, what intention do I come here to Jummah with. Allah subhanahu wa tells us, بَعْدَ عَوْذُ بِاللَّهِ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمِ وَمِنَ النَّاسِ مَنْ يَعْبُدُ اللَّهَ عَلَىٰ حَرْفِ 
and of the people are, the, are is the one who he worships Allah on the edge. There's one interpretation of this word harf, ala harf, right on the edge. What does this imply? Inshallah, we'll talk about a few different implications. Number one, to worship Allah Ta'ala, to worship your Lord on the edge. What does that imply? Number one, like I'm saying, if Islam is convenient, I'll practice it. If not, I'll stop. If the people, when I come to the masjid, if these people are nice and they're smiling and they're kind to me, then I'll go, I'll keep coming. But if they're frowning and mean, then I'm not gonna show up. I've heard Muslims say this. I've heard Muslims actually say, oh, some people, they frowned at me and therefore I don't go to the masjid anymore. SubhanAllah, there are people that would go to the masjid even if people were threatening their lives. You're telling me that a frown deterred you? Okay, subhanAllah, that's very interesting. And some will say what? If the khatib says what I want to hear, then I'll listen to it. But the moment he says something that I'm not comfortable, I don't like, it challenges my views, then I'm out. Brothers and sisters, if you have such an attitude, if you know somebody that has such an attitude, just take this perspective and flip it on its head. Look at it from the inverse perspective. Are you always easy to deal with? Are you, in every moment of your day, easy to deal with? No, not necessarily. Sometimes, as an individual, you might be difficult. But does that mean that you're no longer my brother in Islam? No. Everybody here still treats you as a brother in deen. Are you always smiling when you come to the masjid? Or is it possible that maybe you frowned once or twice? But guess what? You didn't push anybody away through your frown. So why is it that the inverse is the case? And now, oh, I didn't like that khatib. Does the khatib like you? Don't worry, I like all of you, inshallah, no problem. But honestly, just think about it. Somebody else, some other khatib. Does every single khatib have to like you so much? Or does he say, look, some of them I like, some of them maybe not so much, but you know what? I still have to do my very best to deliver the best message. Or do you think, no, no, me, I'm always lovable. I'm, everybody likes me and I'm always smiling. Get real. You have a certain standard. You don't take that standard and look at it from the opposite perspective. Why? This is a very dangerous quality of nifaq. Because hypocrisy and the hypocrite is the one who what? Forgets about their own behavior because he's preoccupied with judging everybody else. There's no time to look at me. I'm so busy evaluating and grading everybody else. As if this is judgment day and you are the Lord of the worlds. May Allah protect us from such evil thoughts. In fact, the Prophet says, remarkable hadith, Sunan Abi Dawood, Hassan Sahih Hadith. Ya ma'ashara man amana bi lisanihi wa lam yadkhulil imanu qalbahu. O people who believe with their tongues, but faith has not yet entered into their hearts. This is talking about nifaq, it's talking about hypocrisy. You say you believe with your tongues, but the faith is not actually there yet. O people who are like this, the Prophet is addressing and saying what? Don't backbite the believers, the Muslims. And don't follow up. Don't try to search for their faults. Don't go searching for the faults of the believers. Because if anybody goes ahead and tries to search for the faults of the believers, then Allah Ta'ala will search for your faults. And whoever is that Allah Ta'ala is searching for their faults, then such a person will be exposed even in their own house. You're in private, you're still gonna be exposed, a'udhu billah. So be very cautious about this. Be very cautious about this quality of nifaq where you're constantly what? Evaluating everybody else and forgetting about yourself. Always searching up everybody else's business and not looking inwardly. And always remember that Islam is a blessing that Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala gave to you. Never get it backwards thinking that you've done this deen a favor, that you have done this community a favor, that you have done this ummah a favor, or that a'udhu billah, you have done Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala a favor by becoming a Muslim. As Allah ta'ala says, يَمُنُّونَ عَلَيْكَ أَنْ أَسْلَمُوا 
قل لا تمنوا علي اسلامكم بل الله يمن عليكم ان هداكم للايمان ان كنتم صادقين they consider it a favor to you o muhammad sallallahu that they have accepted islam say tell them if they have this attitude oh it's i've done you a favor no tell them what do not consider your islam a favor to me rather allah has conferred a favor upon you that he has guided you to the faith if you are indeed truthful islam is a blessing you are not doing anybody a favor by being here allah ta'ala has gifted you allah ta'ala has blessed you to allow you to come to the masjid so this is the first perspective ala harf worshiping allah on the edge implies what when it's convenient versus when it's not convenient the second interpretation the word harf can mean a letter huruf you know the huruf of the, the alphabet are the letters so ala harf could imply that they worship allah on a single letter as in a single word as in one word can change their faith as in if somebody tells them here's one verse of the quran or here's a particular hadith that says something questionable they drop the whole thing without asking any questions and there are some muslims unfortunately that are they're hanging on by a string that the one person says one word oh the quran says this okay then i don't believe it the hadith says this then i don't believe it without asking basic questions such as number one is that really from the quran and sunnah is that actually true Number one, and if so, let's say it is true. It really isn't a particular hadith. Is that hadith authentic? It may be weak, it may be fabricated. Point number three, okay, let's say it is authentic. What about the Arabic? Is this person translating correctly? Is this really accurate? Okay, point number four, let's say it's translated perfectly accurately. Are there corroborating narrations that may paint a fuller picture? Maybe there are a number of hadith about this subject that really give me the full concept. Okay, number four, let's say there are no other corroborating hadith. What about the historical context? Is there something that I'm missing about this time period that may shed light on this issue? And point number six, what do scholars comment about this? I mean, throughout 1400 years, there must be scholarly commentary. What have they said about this? Now, if somebody skips over all six steps and jumps right to leaving Islam, what is the case of such a person? Allah Ta'ala makes it very clear when Allah says, Allah says, rather, they have denied that which they didn't encompass in knowledge and whose interpretation has not yet come to them. They get information, they don't understand it, they don't have any interpretation, they don't know how to deal with it, they just reject it outright. What does Allah Ta'ala say in response to such people? Allah says Thus did those before them deny In other words Don't think that you have some new and progressive style Oh, I don't, I don't accept that Because I'm so new and progressive and I have this. this is not new Allah is saying, yeah, there's been plenty of generations of ignorant people Who just reject things outright Before even doing investigation There's nothing new about this There's nothing impressive There's nothing progressive about this style then Allah says, So take a look, watch carefully. Just see the outcome for these people who have done dhulm. Dhulm means oppression. Who are they oppressing? They are oppressing themselves. Undoubtedly, when you watch the people who have a tendency to self-sabotage, you will very quickly see what type of results they have. If you can get perfectly good advice and you dismiss it out of hand, you dismiss it immediately, if you do this with Allah subhanahu wa this quality will exist in many aspects of your life. And a person can watch as you self-sabotage and destroy yourself. This is dhulm, oppression to your own self. And your own history will prove it. So we need to be careful. Well, you might ask the question, why? Why would anybody do that? How is it possible that some Muslims have this attitude? Why would they throw away their Islam without researching first, without learning first? Well, maybe here's something you might want to consider. 
you know the expression, ignorance is bliss. Ignorance is bliss. When somebody doesn't practice their deen, I've, I've, I've encountered this myself. They say, I'm not practicing in my Islam because I just have so many questions, brother. I have so many doubts and I don't know what to do with them. Before I start answering the doubts, I have a method that you might want to try as well. I first ask, are these questions you want answered or are these questions you don't want answered? And often people, what? What do you mean by that? Well, let me explain. Some people are more comfortable with unanswered questions because then they can remain undecided. If you get answers, then once the answers are clear, you have to join this deen. And once you have become a Muslim, then you might be either good or bad at it. But if you remain undecided, then you're nothing. And it's easier to be a very good nothing. It's not difficult at all. I'm very good at being nothing. Everybody is. But being a good Muslim, that actually requires effort. And so, if they say, no, 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 of course not. I, I actually want the answers. I, I really want to know the answer. Then you can ask them another very simple question. Okay, good. You want to know the answers, right? Well, what answers have you gotten so far? I mean, Google is available to, uh, available to everybody. I'm sure you've done at least a basic search just out of curiosity, right? And if the answer is, no, I haven't even done the most basic research, then you can say to them, it sounds like you want to keep your questions. This is the unfortunate reality that many people, I got lots of questions, I have so many doubts, I don't know if I could practice my deen. You want those questions. You are holding on to those questions like a shield that protects you from any kind of judgment. And this is the nifaq growing in the heart. And one of the biggest signs that a person wants to remain in the dark, ignorance is bliss, they use their quote unquote doubts and questions as a shield to protect themselves from any sort of judgment of even themselves. What is the biggest evidence of this? The moment you try to answer one of their questions, they interrupt with a second question. The moment you start to answer question number two, they'll interrupt with question number three. And this will keep going on and on and on until you come full circle right back to question number one because they never gave you a chance to answer that one first of all at all. SubhanAllah, I've seen situations like this and I'm sure many of you has, uh, have seen the situation as well. It is very important when somebody has this nifaq in their heart, when they don't want an answer because they keep interrupting with something, I have another doubt, another doubt, another doubt, and they want to jump from one foot to the next because they don't want things to be clarified, it's your job to try your best. It's not easy, but try your best to help them realize that perhaps they are averse to the truth. Maybe you're not seeing it yourself. Let me help you. Is it possible that you hate the truth? In fact, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says it very clearly. لَقَدْ جِئْنَاكُمْ بِالْحَقِّ وَلَكِنَّ أَكْثَرَهُمْ لِلْحَقِّ كَارِهُونَ Allah ta'ala says it very clearly. Indeed, we have brought the truth to you, but most of you have hatred for the truth. It's a very powerful statement. أَكْثَرَهُمْ most of you, we shouldn't think that this is a rare occurrence. We shouldn't think that this is the one-off bizarre case. No, Allah is saying most of us are like this. Most of us don't like to hear the truth. We will dodge and we will do whatever we can to get away from the truth. This isn't rare, this is the standard. So you have to be able to identify this type of behavior, call it out and let the person know why are you so uncomfortable. Why are you trying to wiggle out of this like a straitjacket, just trying to get out of this conversation? Why do you hate the truth? Inshallah ta'ala, we'll continue with some concluding remarks in the second khutbah. Wa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Muhammad wa alayhi wa sallam wa sallam wa sallam wa sallam wa Bismillah wa alhamdulillah wa salatu wa sallam ala rasulillah. Ya'budullah ala harf. To worship Allah on this edge. What is another perspective on this ayah? One interpretation, and this is the strongest evidence 
the most clear meaning. Ibn Abbas, he relates, who he says, regarding this ayah, women and nasi man ya'budullaha ala harf, he says, كان الرجل يقدم المدينة فإن ولدت امرأته غلاما ونتجت خيله قال هذا دين صالح وإن لم تلد امرأته ولم تنتج خيله قال هذا دين سوء that there was a man that used to come to Medina during the time of the Prophet and if his wife delivered a son and if his horses had produced more offspring then he would say this is a really good religion and on the other hand if as time passed by, his wife did not deliver and his horses did not produce more offspring, he would say what? This is a bad religion. I mentioned at the beginning the atheistic mentality, which was what? I'm going to repeat my words. I'm not going to bother with evaluating truth and falsehood, right versus wrong, good versus bad, where we came from, what's our purpose and where we're headed. No, instead I accept that the only thing that is real is how I feel. My personal pain and pleasure are my only two realities that I know for certain, therefore I'll chase pleasure and avoid pain and nothing else matters. That's exactly what's going on in this hadith. If this, oh, joining, going to Medina, being with the Muslims, hey, I see benefit, okay, well, I'll take it. No concern about is this right or wrong. The moment I feel some sort of difficulty, I'll drop it. This is nifaq, but subhanAllah, see what's behind it. It is the worship of feelings and the abandonment of any sort of rational pursuit. The believer, is not like this. Rather, the believer is unshakable. The believer doesn't use Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala just to acquire dunya. Rather, the believer uses this dunya to get closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's a completely inverse relationship. As the Prophet says, what? لِكُلِّ شَيْءٍ حَقِيقَةٌ For everything, there is a reality. وَمَا بَلَغَ عَبْدٌ حَقِيقَةَ الْإِيمَانِ حَتَّى يَعْلَمَ أَنَّ مَا أَصَابَهُ لَمْ يَكُنْ لِيُخْطِئَهُ وَمَا أَخْطَأَهُ لَمْ يَكُنْ لِيُصِيبَهُ That for everything there is a reality, and a servant, an abd of Allah, doesn't reach the reality of iman until he knows that whatever afflicted him could not have missed him, and whatever missed him could not have reached him. In other words, you do not let some hardship, some sickness, some difficulty affect your iman, and you say, that's it, I'm going to abandon this deen. My iman does not go up and down like this, in extreme swings. I either practice or don't practice based on these dunyawi circumstances. Rather, you recognize all of this is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I accept that this is all from Allah's plan. Allah is the most wise and that I can pass each and every one of these tests and by passing these tests and these difficulties then inshallah it will be a reward for me. It will make me a better person in this life and in the next and I embrace this hardship. Yes, it's very easy to say. Yes, it's very difficult to do but that is the state of those who have true iman. As the Prophet explained to us, وَعَلَمْ أَنَّ النَّصْرَ مَعَ الصَّبْرِ وَأَنَّ الْفَرَجْ مَعَ الْكَرْبِ وَأَنَّ مَعَ الْعُسْرِ يُسْرَ Know that Victory is with patience, and that joy comes with worry, and that with every hardship comes ease. This is the state of the dunya. It's always going to be a combination of both. Get used to it. Embrace the reality that Allah will continue to test you over and over again. And so some final points, some final thoughts regarding nifaq, this hypocrisy in our hearts. How can we get rid of it? How can we rid ourselves of this evil quality of nifaq? Brothers and sisters, try your best. I don't think anybody can be perfect at this, but you have to try your best to do what? To try to make your private life better than your public life. When we're in public, in the masjid, with all these righteous faces that are all, mashallah, shining faces that make sajda to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's very easy to practice your deen to the utmost extent. Mashallah, that's good. And it's good to be in this type of environment. But when you go home, try to maintain that kind of energy. You might not be able to do it perfectly, 
but don't allow yourself to switch so much that you are completely two-faced. As the Prophet says, beautiful hadith, powerful hadith. If you remember nothing else, think of this hadith from Sa'id ibn Yazid al-Azdi. He said what? He said to the Prophet O Messenger of Allah, give me some advice. Look at how beautiful and simple and concise this advice is. Paul, he says in response, the Prophet says what? I advise you to be shy with Allah as you'd be shy in front of a righteous man. Be shy with Allah the same way you'd be shy in front of a righteous man. We are in this masjid, we are shy to do anything evil because we're in front of each other and we think good of each other. Alhamdulillah, that's a good thing. Try to maintain that same energy when you get home, I'm not pretending that I'm perfect at this, and I'm not pretending that any one of us can be perfect, always having top level of Iman, but you can always try your best. You can always, inshallah, improve and get better. So we make the dua that is attributed to Abu Bakr as-Siddiq There is some difference of opinion whether it's authentic or not, but still the dua is very, very beautiful. Abu Bakr as-Siddiq he said what? Allahumma la tu'akhidhni bima yaqulun, waj'alni khayra mimma yadhunnun, waghfirli ma la ya'lamun. Oh Allah, do not take me to task for what they say. If people are praising me, Ya Allah, don't take me to task for what they're saying about me. And make me better than they think. Whatever they know about me in public, make me better in my private, Ya Allah. And forgive me for what they don't know. Ya Allah, I know in private, I make mistakes. Forgive me for what I do in private. This is such a beautiful dua. I'll say it one more time. Allahumma la tu'akhidhni bima yaqulun waj'alni khayra mimma yadhunnun waghfirli ma la ya'lamun. Oh Allah, do not take me to task over what they say and make me better than what they think and forgive me for what they don't know. Amina Rabbil Alameen. Allahumma hadina fi man hadayt, wa'afina fi man afayt, wa tawallana fi man tawallayt, wa barik lana fi ma a'atayt, wa qina sharra ma qadayt, fa innaka taqdi wa la yuqda alayk, innahu la yadhillu man walayt, wa la ya'izzu man adayt, barakta rabbana wa ta'alayt, rabbana atina fi dunya hasana, wa fil akhirati hasana wa qina'a adhaab al-nar, wa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, wa ala alayhi wa sallam, wa aqimi salah.